Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad you chose to worship with us today at Bay Area. If you're a guest of ours, we are certainly honored to have you with us today. If you're a regular, we're honored to have you with us today too. Now last week I began uh, my sermon by asking a question. Well, if you remember that or not, by the question I asked was, why are you here? Remember that? Why are you here? Why do you believe in a God that you can't see? What is it that keeps bringing you back to faith? And if you remember last year or last week's lesson was sort of my conclusion that the real reason for having a faith in God, lots of reasons, but the real lifelong lasting reason is once we experience God's love. And once we experience God's grace, we're changed. And when God tracks us down with that love and, and holds us with that grace, we'll never be the same again. Even when the world seems to sort of be spinning out of control. And I want to sort of pick up on that thought this morning and talk a little bit about that. Talk about how do we hold on to and what do we hold on to when it seems like the wheels are coming off of the world our culture, sometimes our lives. How do we cope when things are changing so quickly? Because I think we would all agree things are changing pretty quickly, right? The world's changing. The, the world itself is, is changing. When I was a kid, now you think about how much has changed just in your lifetime. When I was a kid, there was a place called the Soviet Union. We talked about it all the time. It was a world power. It doesn't even exist anymore. My children, I've got three grown children, have never in their lives used a card catalog. They don't even know what it is. How many of you don't know what a card catalog is? Yeah. Young people, they, they've never used a card catalog. Two of my children have never been in a library, so you know they would never use one anyway. But if they did, if they were in a library... They wouldn't use a card catalog anymore. That's changed. Does anyone in here still use the yellow pages? Jim Milton, they're very good. Do they still print the yellow pages? I don't, do they, I don't know. I haven't seen a copy of the yellow pages in years. You know, it used to be when you wanted information, you looked in a book. And then you started looking on a computer. Now we all just look on our phones. And the amount of information that we have on our phones is exponentially more than what we ever could have found in a book. In fact, I, I saw something that, uh, that said that 85% of all four-year-olds born in America have a working knowledge of a smartphone. Four-year-olds. 85% can sort of navigate uh, a, a smartphone. And I've got a four-year-old granddaughter that, that proves that point. Our universe is changing. Pluto used to be a planet. It's always the number nine on the list. Pluto doesn't get to be a planet anymore, which kind of messes up my whole you know, thought on how to memorize the planets, my little sentence. Let me share you a picture here. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of a baseball game 60 years ago. Look how everybody's dressed. All the men have a suit and tie on. The women have, a, have dresses. Even the kids are dressed up. Who wears a suit and tie to a baseball game today? 
We don't usually wear suit and ties to church. I've got one on today, but I don't usually have one on. You know, our, our culture is changing. The way we communicate is changing. The way, you know, the music that we listen to, the way we get information, all of those things are changing. And the reality is, you don't get to vote on it. And then it gets personal. Your body is changing. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes faster than we would like. But have you noticed that? I've noticed that. The number of hairs on my head is changing. You know, the number of wrinkles on our face, it's changing. And there are people who make billions of dollars who will tell you that they can stop it or slow it down or reverse that process, but they can't. And you, uh, you can Botox it, Rogaine it, liposuction it, aerobicize it, moisturize it, cryogenically try to freeze it. But let me tell you, it's a one-way street. Our bodies are changing. How do you cope with a changing world? Well, there's some ways to do that. How do you deal with a changing world? One way is to dig in our heels and say, I'm not going to change with it. Now, I'll share with you a, a personal story. When my three children were small, Martha and I, we drove a 1982 Buick LeSabre. It was her uncle's car. We bought it from him. It was like 50 feet long. It was the quintessential old man's car, like the last of the air carrier cars, you know. I would drive it like this. I couldn't even see over the steering wheel. It's this huge car. When Maggie, my daughter, was about six years old, we finally got rid of that car, got a new car. It wasn't new, but it was new to us. And I remember being so proud of that car. I drove it up in the driveway, and I went in and got Maggie and said, got a big surprise, cover your eyes. You know, let her out in the, in the front yard there. Ta-da! It's our new car. And six-year-old Maggie said, where's Unk's car? Well, we got rid of Unk's car. Unk's car was old. Unk's car was falling apart. This car has 34 cup holders. This is our new car. You know what my six-year-old daughter did there in our driveway? She started crying. I don't like this car. I like Unk's car. I don't want a new car. What do we do in a changing world? Sometimes changes are for the better. Sometimes they're for the worse. Sometimes changes are pleasant, sometimes they're brutal, sometimes there's a gain involved, sometimes there's a loss involved. How do you deal with change? As we navigate a world that's constantly changing, I think maybe it's important to every now and then take a step back, draw a deep breath, and remind ourselves of some things that don't change. Remind ourselves of some things that will never change, things that are timeless. And I think that's important for individuals. And I think that's important for church as well. Because if we ever get a little bit sideways on what our rock is, and what our foundation is, what we're building our hopes and our lives on, if we ever get a little bit sideways on that, then Satan might try to push and pull and twist us in ways that God never intended us to be pushed, pulled, or twist. So this morning... I want to kind of remind us of a few things. They're going to be pretty obvious, but they're pretty important as well. Some things that are changeless. Some things that we 
that we as Christians, that we as a church just consider this is, this is who we are and this is what we are. This is the rock that we build on. So some of these things, again, might seem a little bit obvious to you, but I think they're pretty important to remind ourselves of. I'm going to start with this. The character of God doesn't change. Now I say that and you think, well, yes, okay, next, what's next? But that's actually a very significant thought. The character of God never changes. That has huge ramifications for us. Question, have you ever been around people who are moody? Of course you have, right? Because we're all moody. But you, know, you don't know if they're in a good mood or you don't know if they're in a bad mood. And you don't know exactly how to interact with them because you don't know what mood they're in. And the mood they're in sort of determines how you're going to act around them. heard about a guy who uh, was always accusing his wife of being too moody. So he went online and he found one of those old mood rings from the 70s. You remember those? It was a ring that was supposed to change color depending on what mood you were in. And he convinced his wife into wearing the mood ring. And here's what he concluded. When she's in a good mood, it turns green. When she's in a bad mood, it leaves a big red mark on my forehead. <laughs> so the mood ring actually worked, right? Then he said, maybe I should have got her a diamond. But every human being experiences moods. I experience moods. You experience moods. In corporate culture, you know what the number one question asked of the secretary to the boss is? What kind of mood is she in today? What kind of mood is she in today? Because if they're in a good mood, I'll approach them. I'll run something by them. I'll maybe, you know, uh, share some criticism or whatever. But if the boss is in a bad mood, I'm going to steer clear. I'll wait for a different time to approach them. We don't ever have to wonder if God is in a bad mood. God never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. God doesn't change. Friends will let you down, neighbors will change, you know, a, a favorite co-worker will retire and move away. People change, things change, God doesn't change. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James doesn't just say that God doesn't change, he says there's no shadow of it. There's not even a hint of it. God never has a bad day. He doesn't change. In the Old Testament, Numbers 23, God's not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. God is not influenced by the kinds of things that we are influenced by. When you pray, this is really, this is, this is really an encouraging thought. When you pray to God, you never have to wonder, is he in a bad mood today? Should I, should I wait to another time when maybe he's in a better mood? God's never in a bad mood. He never changes. His faithfulness never changes. He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Moses. He was faithful to David. He was faithful to Esther. He was faithful to Ruth. God has never failed a human being ever. And guess what? You're not going to be the first. He's not going to fail you either because his faithfulness never changes. His holiness never changes. God's not affected by the things that we're affected by. God's attitude towards sin is exactly the same today as it was thousands of years ago. 
See, we kind of shift and vacillate on those things. You know, what we as individuals or what we as a culture deem acceptable or unacceptable, right or wrong, that's always sort of changing. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But not God's holiness. God never says, you know, just go ahead and I've changed my mind. Um, use your possessions selfishly. You know, ignore people that are in need. Uh, flirt with people that you're not married to. I've, I'm kind of past that. Now, that's not as bad as it used to be. God's holiness never changes. Prophet Malachi says uh, this, I, the Lord, do not change. His holiness never changes. His faithfulness never changes. His wisdom never changes. His power, His presence, His sovereignty never changes. See, the deal is, you and I, we can deal with change. We can deal with a world that's changing. We can deal with political tension. We can deal with recessions. We can deal with health issues. We can, we can embrace a changing world if we're holding on to an unchanging God. Anything else is disastrous. He's always holy. He's infinitely wise. His character never changes. Here's something else that never changes. Jesus is the hope of the world. And that will never change. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Politicians come and politicians go. Leaders rise and leaders fall. Administrations show up and administrations disappear. Sometimes they make things better. Sometimes they make things worse. But they're not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Now I know that some of you are very involved politically and I applaud you for that. We ought to be. We need to pay attention to what's going on. We need to be involved. We need to be interested. We need to be trying to in, in, enact change. But the reality is, as a church, we're not in the political business. As a church, we're in the Jesus business. Now, sometimes those things might overlap, but what we do, we do because we're in the Jesus business. He's the leader. This is a, this is a Jesus church, and that can never change. Romans says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. Jesus is Lord. And He's the hope of the world. So we shouldn't be putting our hope or our confidence in some set of circumstances, because circumstances are always changing. We always think if we can line things up, then we'll have it made. If I can just get the girl, then I get the girl and she dumps me. If I can just get the job, then I get the job and the company folds. If I can just get the money, and I get the money and I lose my health. And if I can just get circumstances to line up correctly, I can live a life of joy and confidence. But if you wait for those circumstances to all line up perfectly, you'll never live a life of joy and confidence because those circumstances are always in flux. They're always changing. You know, people have asked me before, tell me about your church. What does your church have to offer? My answer is always the same. It's always pretty concise. 
Jesus. And really, when you get right down to it, that's really all we have to offer anybody, is Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. That'll never change. Here's something else that'll never change. The authority of the Bible will never change. And it's really important we understand that. Peter, quoting the, the prophet Isaiah, says, All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of God, the word of God, the truth in God's message, it's eternal. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You know it. You can probably quote it. I'm not sure you can quote that translation on the screen. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the truth, for rebuking error, correcting faults, and giving instruction for right living so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. I don't have to tell you that we live in an age of information overload. I saw something not long ago that says in this digital age with self-publishing capabilities, there are 3,000 books published every single day. Worldwide, over 3,000 books published a day. Think you can keep up? And yet there's one book that's been the bestseller every year, one book that's been translated into more languages than any other book, one book written by a couple dozen authors over the span of several hundred years that has sold more copies, been read by more people, has stimulated more study, influenced more people, changed more lives than any other book. The Bible. The Bible does what no other book can do. We stand on the Word of God. It's what we turn to. You know, we live in a society where so oftentimes arguments are decided by who's the best arguer. And some people are really good at it. Because some people get an awful lot of practice at arguing. But for us, the Bible is our final authority. So in a changing world, what will not, what cannot change is our commitment to read the unchanging Word of God. To study it to delight in it, to think about it, to wrestle with the hard questions that are in it. But most of all, to do what it says. To obey it. Now I mentioned last week that, that we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. The Bible isn't our Lord, Jesus is our Lord. But the Bible points us to Jesus, tells us about Jesus. Here's another fact. The human condition doesn't change. We like to delude ourselves into thinking that we're different, but we're really not. I'll take you back to Isaiah again. The voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. And it all changes so fast. We think we're in control, but we're not. We think that we are so much more advanced. We are so much more progressive and sophisticated than anybody else who's come before us. And I guess on some levels we are, but where it matters the most, we're not at all. We are exactly like everyone who's ever lived before us. We seem to live under some kind of delusion that, that we can change the human condition with more education. 
or more prosperity or more technology or more medicine. But none of those addresses the problem. God identified the real problem long ago. God said the problem with the human condition is sin. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like sin is fading anytime soon. However, right after Paul says that in Romans, he said we're also justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Our condition hasn't changed. We're sinful people desperately in need of Jesus. Again, Jesus is the answer. Most all of you will recognize the name Philip Yancey, really famous, uh, successful, effective Christian writer. And he writes about a brother of his that has suffered a series of strokes. And he talks about this brother just being a brilliant guy. I mean, just, just really brilliant. Uh, philosopher, deep thinker, wrestled with really deep concepts. And he said that he went from one day being that guy, that brilliant guy, that deep thinker who was always talking and, and thinking in, in really abstract, deep thoughts, to the next day being in the ICU, trying to remember how to count the five. And he said that his brother never did have a relationship with God. That he tried Christianity, but he said it just didn't make sense to him. That he and God just never did connect. But Yancey writes, in the ICU... He would squeeze my hand as tightly as he could every time I whispered prayers into his ear. The tears would run down his face. The human condition has never changed. We are sinful creatures, desperately in need of a gracious Savior. Which leads to, to one more thing that never changes. The mission of the church hasn't changed. Jesus was really specific about this. Jesus gave us a task. And he's pretty specific about the task. Right before he goes back to heaven, he gives us the task. We know it. You can quote it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. That's the mission of the church. It hasn't changed. Jesus said, go. Make disciples. Tell people about me. Baptize them. Teach them everything I've commanded you. I'll be with you. You don't have to do it alone. But that's our mission. It hasn't changed. Let me share with you something that I thought was a little bit interesting, um, a little bit sobering as well. I, I found some statistics. Uh, the, the website was citydata.com, and I think they're I think they're pretty accurate. It's on the internet, right? So it's got to be true. But I, I think it's pretty accurate. Um, statistics for Hillsborough County, 2013 was the latest statistics I could find. Uh, in 2013, the population of Hillsborough County was 1.3 million. Of that 1.3 million, uh, the number of people who responded as having some type of affiliation with a religious group was 40%. In other words, if you asked everybody, do you have any kind of connection with church? Basically, it was the question. 40% of the people would say yes. 
Now that doesn't mean they attend anywhere. It doesn't mean they're involved anywhere. Just 40% of people in Hillsborough County said, yes, I've got, I've got a connection. I've got an affiliation with some kind of a religious group. If those numbers are correct, and again, I don't have any reason to believe that they're not, what that means is in our county, there are 740,000 people who don't go to church anywhere. 740,000 people. And what that means to you, to me, is this week coming up, all those people that you go to work with, go to school with, see at Publix, you know, see out at the ball game, at the restaurant, six out of every ten people you see, six out of every ten people you meet or know, don't go to church anywhere. Now, I know that numbers like that are really hard to wrap your mind around. And I don't think there's going to be 740,000 people trying to get into our parking lot next week. But I do believe this, our mission hadn't changed. The mission that Jesus gave us hasn't changed. I want you to go. I want you to tell people about me, make disciples, baptize them, teach them the things that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you. That's the mission. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. It hasn't changed. Are we anywhere near the finish line on that? I don't think so. And the reality is, I, I, I can't connect and, and I, can't, uh, I can't introduce 740,000 people to Jesus. But I really think I could do it for one person. And I really think you could as well, somebody. Let me give you a picture of what I think God wants to do with us and for us and here in Hillsborough County. And actually, kind of picking up from last week's lesson, this happened a couple years ago, a couple summers ago in Philadelphia. Uh, here's the picture. This guy's a huge Philadelphia Phillies fan. Uh, he takes his four-year-old daughter to the ball game for the very first time. He's always wanted to catch a foul ball, but he's never caught a foul ball. You know, all of us that are baseball fans, you know, we think it would be great to catch a foul ball. Um, this guy always wanted to catch one, never did. Finally, he catches a foul ball. He hands it to his little girl to look at, and as soon as she gets it, she throws it back. It was all over the news. It's still on YouTube, by the way. As soon as she threw it back, there's this collective gasp from all the people around her. <gasps> no! No! Oh, no, you didn't! Oh, no! And if you watch the clip, this little girl realizes, I just did something wrong. And she looks up at her dad, like, Dad, am I in trouble? I didn't mean to. Dad, did I just do something wrong? And there's this great moment where this guy goes from being a fan to being a father. And he doesn't make some grand gesture that scares her. He doesn't try to explain why everybody else is, is saying no. He doesn't try to reason with her. All he does is put his arms around her and hugs her just as tight as he can. In an interview later on, he said, all I told her was, it's okay. I love you. Now, every now and then, us human dads get it right. We serve a heavenly father 
who gets it right every single time. We are also surrounded by 740,000 people who face the possibility of a Christless eternity. There are 740,000 people in our backyard who desperately need to know that kind of love, to feel those kinds of loving arms around them, that kind of acceptance. Here's the message from Scripture. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know, we live in a world that's constantly changing. Our relationships, our finances, our emotional condition, our jobs, our health. There are so many things that are changing, and we don't get to vote on it. And for the most part, there's nothing we can do about it. We, we can't stop it. We can't control it. But God doesn't change. So we put our hope and we put our faith and we put our trust in Him. He's the rock that we stand on. So when everything around us changes, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to, we don't have to live in fear of tomorrow and we don't have to live in the past. Psalms 139, David says, Wherever I go, there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Wherever you are this morning, God's hand is holding you fast. Wherever you are, God's already there. And He hasn't changed. His faithfulness hasn't changed. His holiness hasn't changed. His desire to pick you up and hold you tight. When all the world is going, oh no, what did you do? To feel those arms of God around us. And to hear him say, it's okay, I love you. That's the reason we keep coming back to faith. Bert's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. Maybe you've never felt those arms of love around you. Or maybe you've been ignoring that hand that's reaching down to let you know that God is there. As a church family, if we can minister to you in any way, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium Meet us and we'll do the very best we can. We'll pray and we'll talk to you and we'll turn it over to God.